It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 I'm your host, Mika Gadsden, and what you're listening to right now is a conversation that I recently had with a friend of mine, Theo Spencer. Theo is a longtime resident of Camden, New Jersey, and he and I met way back in the early 2000s, when, uh, around the time where I recently moved to the Philadelphia metropolitan area. Since knowing Theo, I've grown to understand and, and I've witnessed his passion for his hometown. Theo not only is an accomplished uh, web developer, but, you know, he's very involved in his local community, both civically and just as a son of the city. Theo has graduated from schools like Howard, and he's also attended Wharton School of Business and Tulane University. And, yeah, the accolades are just amazing, but beyond that, he has remained committed to one of our country's most embattled cities, a city that was once deemed the most dangerous city in the country. And throughout my friendship with Theo, I've made many, many trips to Camden and have spent many days and nights there. And I, I have a soft spot for the city. I, I've seen the very, very, very low lows. <laughs> um, and I've seen tremendous spirit and resolve and resiliency from its residents. It's, it's an area that's complicated. And the conversation that Theo and I are having is about the changes that I see inevitably on the horizon for Camden and his history, his time in Camden since he was a small child. And we're having a conversation about gentrification, displacement, culture, education, you name it. So I invite you to listen along because I think this conversation is important and informs the work we all do, regardless if you live up in the Northeast or down in the Southeast. And I'm not comparing Charleston to Camden. That'd be like comparing apples to oranges. But I do think there's value in listening to the work of others and listening to the experiences of others in other me- in other metropolitan areas and having that inform the work you do back home. So here's more of our conversation. And that, you know, they were sort of victimized by the things that went on here. So what's this area? Um... This area is, on your right is Campbell Soup. Oh. So, so this is like the backside of 
Campbell's suit. I didn't even recognize that. I, I've recognized you don't. You really can't tell. You wouldn't know it from the back. Not from the back. I know from the front. But from the front, yeah. So how long has Campbell's suit been in Camden? Campbell's suit has been in Camden forever. Um, I wouldn't say since the beginning, but... but, but soon, okay, so as soon as we just left Campbell's suit back, now this corner looks like it's destroyed. It looks, like, it looks literally like a bomb hit it. Oh, no, no. So this is a... Um, what's going on here is this, this intersection is kind of like a weird triangle. And oh, what man. they're doing is they're going to knock this triangle out. So the street that we're on now is actually going to end here. And they're going to block it off there. And like one of the things now that they're doing is they're, they're making all these green spaces in, in Camden. Um, the problem with that is when our folks hear green space, they just start to think, oh, well, they're trying to move us out. You know, they just try to give white people a picture of what this could look like with, with none of us there sort of like a blank canvas sort of thing so but yeah they had this plan to to basically knock that knock that uh, to block that off and you can't drive through it anymore and create a green space yeah it's a green space plus you know it's kind of an intersection that's weird because it's, it comes to like a triangle and it's you know it's virtually useless you can't put anything there This is Hatton Avenue. So, there are a lot of vacant homes. Yeah. With, it looks like there are people who are living in homes in between the vacant. Yeah. Like, so, what's the story with all these vacant homes? So, we're in the Parkside section right now. And, um, you know, in the 1930s and 40s, these would have been considered, like, the best of the best homes in Camden. Um, most of these houses have probably been, most of these houses were probably built before 1930. I mean, my house was built in like 1913, you know. Um, and, you know, over time, what ended up happening was as people were able to make more money and as white folks were able to, to move to the suburbs, you know, they just became... Um, they fell into disrepair. Fell into disrepair. Um, and then the amenities. I mean, like, a lot of problems in Camden, to me, revolve around housing. And, like, what happened is uh, we got to a point where the amenities that you could get in a house in Camden, they, they just don't live up to the amenities you can get out, out, elsewhere. So, you know, um, if, if your house doesn't have things like a closet, like, most of those houses on Hatton Avenue, they don't have, like, closet space. You, you know, like, closets were an afterthought. You know, they don't have a washer and dryer hookup space. You know. I'm noticing a lot of police presence in Camden. Yeah. So, what's, is that a strategy, like, to keep it safer? Because we know Camden also struggles with, you know, issues around crime, open-air drug deals. Well, what What is the police presence about? The police presence, well, this is Parkside. Parkside is probably, you know, a lot of people don't vote in the city of Camden, but of the um, of the of the neighborhoods that vote, Parkside 
uh, has one of the heaviest voting populations. Now, this this part of Parkside looks more well-maintained. I don't see the, yeah. the vacant. So you're saying they're more politically active? More politically active. A is lot that, of these folks are the, older. Is that why we said? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and a lot of these homes were just, you know, like uh, the band director from my high school uh, from uh, Camden High, he lives at this corner house over here. Um, you know, like we're in what was used to be like the Jewish neighborhood. So these homes were like the best of the best in terms of the city of Camden. What's this new construction? This uh, Faison Muse. This is just like a, a senior living uh, community. But, you know, even the senior living communities around here are like, you know, to a certain degree, they're poverty mills. I mean, you have to be so poor to get into them. I mean, it's... <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, and it's like... What's a poverty mill? I, I'm just, you know, I, that's just my, my, I guess, term of art for... Um, just, you know, those places can take people that have a relatively decent living and it makes them do things to, to make themselves a lot poorer than what they really are to, to, to be able to move in. So there's like, um, let's say, like my aunt, when, the, when my aunt was living, between her pension and Social Security, she probably made like, um, twenty-five or twenty-six thousand dollars a year, but the the income requirement for um for where she lived was like, or, or get, getting into one of these places was like seventeen thousand. You know, so when you start to figure out, like, well, hold on, what can we do to make you like six or seven thousand dollars poor, plus dispense of your house and all this other stuff? just for you to be able to live in an apartment, it's, it's nuts. So, we are passing now... Oh, hi. So, is this the new Camden High School? Yeah, so... So, you didn't, you didn't actually attend this? Do you ever attend no, school in this building? No, so, the building that I... Uh, the, the building that I was in got demolished. Right. So, this is Hatch. Hatch was my middle school. Oh, so it says right there, it says Cooper, Cooper B. B. Hatch. Hatch. Yeah. So this was the junior high. That was the junior high, and what happened was, um, basically, they moved uh, Camden High to this junior junior high school. Um, the education landscape in Camden is really um, is really is sad. You know, uh, basically, Camden High used to be serviced by basically two high schools, Camden High and Woodrow Wilson. And um, when we went through this charter legislation and, you know, this thing with Renaissance schools and all that, basically it opened up competition for more high schools. So now Camden has, like, almost 10 high schools. Really? Yeah. But in terms of the outcomes, outcomes are all about the same. You know, the kids aren't getting into any better colleges. They're not necessarily doing any better on the whole. But why? What do you mean, why? Why can't Camden, I guess, return to those, like, those 
days of glory like that I've read about. In Poverty the is profitable. To whom? Um, well, you know, to the state, to a lot of the, the people that are building these things. I mean, look, uh, you know, if you got a construction company, you know, having a lot of high schools and middle schools being built, it, it's, it's, you know, it helps your bottom line. And not just the school construction, but you're, just, you're saying other, other industries thrive. Yeah, I mean, mean, think about, like, um, it's all really kind of subtle how it's done. I don't think people realize what goes on, but, like, for instance, you know, if you build a school, well, you need um, a plan for the school. Well, there's all these companies out there that all they do is plan schools. So they're making money, you know. There's people building the schools. They're making money. You know, um, you know, everybody is making money. You know, the kids, uh, the kids aren't performing academically, so they've got a program. You know, everybody's got some sort of program for the kids to do better. So it's like, <laughs> you know, no matter what it is, there's a, um, there's like a program or some way that folks can profit. So this is one of the newer high schools. Okay, so this is Camden? Uncommon schools. <laughs> What's uncommon schools? So in in um, charter... This, uh, this is a charter school. Yeah. So in the charter space, there's basically... So this is what's going on. This is the game, right? So in New Jersey, as long as you can quote-unquote... Um, and this is Brim Medical Arts, which is a public high school. That's a high school? Yeah. It's so small. Yeah, it used to be a book bindery. Um, it used to be a book bindery, and they turned it Yeah, they used to make a Thomas Nelson Bibles. So if you ever, you know, in church and you see Thomas Nelson. Uh, as as Theo and I continue to, to ride around Camden, right I can't um, tell you how many schools we passed. And this is where I really start to listen to Theo. Theo is not, again, just my friend or just this guy I like to hear talk about Camden. He actually served on his local school board and has run for uh, for mayor of Camden on a number of occasions on campaigns that I actually assisted him with. So when Theo starts to talk about education, I listen. Even if I don't necessarily agree with his assessments, I have to understand that it comes from a very well-informed place, and I do listen. And like I said, we, we pass so many schools, charter schools, public schools, new construction, um, you know, revamped buildings, that old book bindery that he mentioned. We pass so many different structures dealing with Camden's education system. However... The numbers don't lie. The kids are still underperforming. The schools are not turning out the best. They're not not turning out the best prepared students. And that's not to say the students aren't smarter or intelligent. It's just something is going on or, or something is being broken down in Camden schools. And so you have to ask yourself, with all of this upheaval, with this charter legislation, uh, with the school system being taken over at one point by the state, 
And you have to ask yourself, who's benefiting from all of these changes? Why aren't families and students seeing results? And instead of pointing the finger at at families, um, instead of moralizing people's personal choices, it really makes me want to look closely at what's going on in Camden and is it intentional? And that's actually a debate that Theo and I had off mic in terms of, well, what was intended and what wasn't. Are the changes meant for Camden? Are they the changes that are, are being planned for? Are they for Camden or are they for another Camden, a different type of Camden? Is gentrification the goal and not just an unintended consequence? And I, I don't know the answer to that. And so um, as he and I continue to ride throughout the city, we ponder these questions, we have a debate, and we look at all the changes. And I think he and I both walk away with more questions and less answers. So what's going on is in the state of New Jersey, you know, when everybody's poor, everybody's just thinking about what they can grab for themselves. They don't sort of understand how all of these games that everybody's playing is interrelated and it's basically making everybody have less. So you have all, you know we've, run, we've driven around Camden. Uh-huh. We've taken um, you know uh, we've taken a drive around Camden and we've seen the vacants. You've, you've talked to me about education. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are your feelings about the plans for the city that do include a new vision, a growing, I see the medical like universities or medical or the hospitals, their footprint is growing and gentrification is, is taking place. What do you feel about gentrification? Um, I think gentrification in our community is, it's like a dirty word. And I don't, I don't think gentrification is necessarily dirty. It's all about who gets to take advantage of what gentrification means. I, I mean, at the end of the day, if you own a house, gentrification is a good thing for you because it means that your house is going to appreciate the value and it means that you're going to be able to sell your house at a higher price. But what about if my culture is being pushed out? Like, so in Charleston, South Carolina, gentrification on the peninsula has meant the displacement of black families, the displacement of, like, uh, you know, black schools have closed down, historically black schools, and also the culture has gone away. Like, you can't find African-American or Gullah culture in the restaurant industry. That's what gentrification means to me. That's what it, I think it means that to a lot of people so how can you say that that's not you know well in in an area like Camden right there's no way that because of our proximity to Philadelphia you know there's no way that you can improve the services and not also raise the cost of you know living here and people that's the economics of it like you're talking about how do you the, do that without displacing black folks? How do you how do you improve Canada? I don't think what black folks need to understand the, what makes 
this so attractive to be gentrified is the fact that we don't recognize that we have to put more resources into what we have to make it too expensive to gentrify to begin with. Like your biggest, your biggest um, guard against being gentrified is making the cost of your the cost of your housing go up to a certain degree. You know, you bought at a low price and you put improvements into your home that increase the cost. But you know, it's it's one of these things where you know gentrification is tied to all the things that people want. Like you're not going to improve uh, the school system without also making it more costly to live here. I don't want like I don't want my neighborhood to not reflect its culture or the history. I don't want that. That's that's gentrification. Well, I, I mean. The thing is, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how you really can protect that. I mean, if if you're not gonna, if you if you're not gonna recognize that this is all about economics and use the economics to to guard yourself, I don't, I don't know if there's gonna be a policy or anything that you're gonna really, really be able to do that that, that stops it. So you you feel like it's more about who's in power. So we if we empower marginalized communities, if we uh, we uh, if we equip them with resources, they can gentrify their own neighborhoods, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, but to, to get back to your point about the hospital and all that other stuff, that stuff is not really gentrifying the city. That that's actually taken away from the city. But that's what I'm saying. Well, okay, so because 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 in your by your definition, gentrification doesn't or automatically uh, signify something wrong. And I get what you're yeah. saying about economics and growth. So you're seeing the growing footprint because in Charleston, the reason why I brought up the reason why I brought up the hospital's footprint in Camden, it reminds me of what's going on downtown Charleston with MUSC uh, and Roper and those like they're growing and, right. and it's impacting. It's impacting housing costs for for folk. Is that what's happening here? No. So here's the thing, though. The the economics of a of a city is such that you run on property taxes and hospitals and edu- you know. So this whole this whole economic model, the edge and meds economic model, is kind of based on what was going on in Boston. You have like five or six of the finest institutions of higher education in the world in a, in a very confined area and it basically it rose the level of what's going on around it and and it, it generated all this economic activity so what everybody started thinking was well we can do the same thing so they did the same thing in Philadelphia they're trying to do it over there with um over with the University of Pennsylvania, University of Sciences, and all that stuff. The problem is, in a city like Camden, that is so small, like, we don't, like, if you're going to take the downtown and turn it over to nonprofits that don't pay any property taxes, well, you're, you're basically killing our base and our ability to, be, to bring in more money and more property taxes. So what it's doing is 
it's just it's raised the cost of living in terms of property taxes on everybody else and you know most people in Camden really can't afford to go anywhere so like it's it's just making it's just exacerbating the problem that the city already has but in, in terms of you know this idea that it's going to bring in all these white folks that are going to spend all this money for these flats and all this other stuff just hasn't happened I mean and when you start to look at the you call this the Eds and Meds model Eds and Meds yeah that's what it's called the educational institutions and the medical institutions you know um, you know but again they don't bring any property taxes in I mean and then the, the thing in Camden when you start to look at the economics and you really start to understand what's going on like so when we came across the bridge you saw American Water They're, they built a property on the waterfront in Camden they've already written down the property 20 million dollars and you know basically a write down means that you thought the property let's say you thought the property was going to be worth 50 million now you think it's going to be worth 30 million and because you've written it down it's like you know that that means you've taken a major hit so you know they're basically trying to tell you they're trying to sell you on all this economic activity in Camden and they're trying to say well well come here come here come here but the data is basically telling you nobody wants to come here and you and you bankroll you know like well, I mean that gets into another interesting in New Jersey. But they think we're what? Well, basically, the state of New Jersey under Chris Christie, they bankrolled a lot of these economic sort of you know vehicles that were really ways to pay back political contributors. So American Water is a big political tr- contributor to the Democratic Party in Camden. So the state basically underwrote their ability to build on the waterfront. So basically... Even under the Christie administration, which was Republican? Oh yeah, yeah. He's, is, is, was Christie still beholden to, like, Democratic Democratic bosses? Well, yeah. Like Norcross? Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, you know, what they did... Now, this is the uh, mastery school. Another school. I, we've driven past at least, I think, four schools. So, but the, the funny part about all of this was... so. Basically, the state of New Jersey had legislation that basically said, look, in your urban school, in your urban system, you know, you have to replace these schools. The state of New Jersey has to replace these schools. And, you you know, because of racism, (laughs) you know, basically what they did was they said, well, all right, we can't give these black and brown people any money or agency over building their own school so what we'll do is they basically expanded all these charter legislation and basically the school that they were required to give you they gave it to you but you just have no control over it you don't even get to say what they teach and what they didn't teach so i'm but so go ahead i'm sorry but uh, the, the um the so the, your, your thing about the um the, the state well go ahead I'm sorry so in in closing so I live in Charleston uh-huh. you live in Camden what what um what advice would you have 
for folks down in Charleston in terms of it's not the same. Camden is not the same as Charleston by no means, right? And I'm not going to compare two two you know communities like they're not apples to apples comparison. But in terms of marginalized communities and communities of color facing so many economic changes and changes in demographics, what would you suggest folks down in Charleston do, especially black and brown and, and poor folk? I think you gotta. You have to, you have to become educated, and you have to become very savvy. Like, you know, at the end of the day, these policies they change. You know, things that benefit you today hurt you tomorrow. Things that hurt you today might benefit you tomorrow. And what you have to do as a community, you have to really educate yourself on what all these things mean, and you really have to focus on. How, how you can use these policies to help yourself. I mean, you know, nobody's going to, like, really lay anything out for you. You had to have folks, and you had to work with people that are on your side that can help you understand and interpret these policies and understand and interpret what these things mean so that you can make decisions for yourself. And a lot of times in our community, that's not what we do. You know, we just, we make it up in our mind that the man got it out for us or that we can't get anything and we can't go anywhere. But that's real, though, in some instances. Like, facing systemic racism is real. It's a real barrier. It's not in our mind. So, how would, how? I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying systemic racism is in our mind and it's, it's, it's not real. But I think what's in our mind a lot of times is we think that we, we can't do anything about it. And you can. You just have to you, you have to become educated and really understand what's going on and what these things mean. You can't just shut yourself down and say, you know, well, they just gonna do whatever they do. Because, you know, if you if you take that mindset, guess what? They will. And that's exactly that's Subaru's headquarters. Um, that's exactly what they've done here. So, do you do you have hope? Do you hold out hope for for Camden? It's tough. It's really tough because you know there's enough people that could make a difference that could do something different, but people they people believe. There is no white people here now. It's just us. So it's us doing it to us. So, you know, if people wake up and start to really understand what's going on, use some of these tools that are out here, like social media, to, you know, really understand the message and and understand, you know, what's going on, then, you know, hey, I, I still don't understand how, you know, the Russian government can change an election on Facebook and we, that's not something we use to empower ourselves to do anything. Do you still love Camden? Um, it's tough. I do. I mean, it's my city. It's like a parent, but see it do so much better and be 
if you get a moment, do yourself a favor and research the history of Camden, New Jersey. Though it's going through a tough time right now, it was once a great place to raise children, to work, to thrive. It was, it was amazing. And there are a number of books and articles that will outline Camden's history. It, it was an industrial mecca. It's, it sits right across the Delaware River from Philadelphia. So you can only imagine how vital and how vibrant the city once was. And I think I cling to that memory, or rather the memory I read about. Um, I cling to that and that gives me hope and inspires me uh, to continue to advocate and fight for Camden and speak up for Camden, even though I'm not a resident of that city. Um, I've grown to love it. And, and again, it holds a very special place in my heart. So um, yeah, look up some good things about Camden. There, there are too many to name. So uh, don't just let the current state, um, don't let that just be the memory you're, you're, you're left with. Camden is much more than its current state of affairs. Um, also, uh, Theo and I, as you could probably hear a little bit, he and I went back and forth in terms of what gentrification means to marginalized communities, poor communities, and communities of color. And to be honest with you, there are some pretty valid arguments for gentrification. And it makes me think about something Theo mentioned within the interview, that if those from Camden are armed with resources, education, and a number of other tools to help them, and I'm using air quotes, gentrify their own neighborhoods, they may have a better chance in staving off displacement and the erasure of Camden's culture. So I think that's important to, to keep in mind. Within the description of this, uh, this podcast episode, I'll provide links to several studies which make an argument for gentrification um, and basically outlines what it looks like when those with middle class or higher incomes move into low-income communities and what that really looks like. And I'm sure that there are also pieces that outline sensible upheaval, uh, sensible, uh, uh, I guess, revamping of neighborhoods. There's a way to revitalize communities without displacing so many folks or pushing poor people out into other areas where they will no longer thrive or, or have less of a chance of, of recovering from poverty. So I think there are arguments, even though I'm reluctant to acknowledge that. I think Theo has definitely made me think more critically about what gentrification is exactly and what it looks like. And and I believe it's more of a spectrum than this binary good and bad uh, thing that I've kind of made out in my own mind. So I invite you also to do more research about that if you're not as familiar with what the ramifications of gentrification is. And again, I'll provide links in, in the show description. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It wasn't based in South Carolina at all. But again, I think that having conversations with folks from other communities is valuable. And it helps me gain perspective 
on how to go about changes here locally. And again, Camden is not Charleston and Charleston is not Camden. But there are some parallels there that I that I paid attention to. And I'm very grateful to Theo for spending time with me and taking me around Camden for um, an extended period in that evening. Please look out for the Charleston Activist Network in the coming weeks. Most notably, we'll be at the very special debut of Benny Starr's second album, a water album. He'll be recording it live at the Charleston Music Hall on September 22nd. And he's invited me to host the event. So I'm super excited about that. And he also extended an invitation to me to, uh, to conduct a little voter registration drive in the lobby prior to the event. So please, I encourage you all to come out and support this local artist who is combining hip hop with civic action. And there are a number of other dope uh, partners and musicians and artists from the from the Charleston area that you can come out and support. And I'll uh, I'll also include that information for that event in the description of this show. If you want to reach out to me directly with feedback, um, please do so at uh, Tamika at CharlestonActivistNetwork.com. Again, that'll be within the show description notes. And you can also catch up with us, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So until the next episode, stay well, and thank you for listening.